Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Keith, and Chris. All right, it's Monday night. FBT After Hours. Adam Azer, Scott White, and Chris Towers in the house. In three different houses, though. Uh, mm. and, and yeah, right? So here Very we are. Very different locations. Very, well, just for you. Chris and I are... Oh, 30 miles. Yeah, you guys could be in the same house. Nah, that's okay. You should try it. Maybe I'm once. gonna come over, Adam. <laughs> you have a car? I can get I I can get there on the train. I what the Metro North, right? Yeah, that's the one. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I know how to get there. All right, cool. I'll see you in a bit. So we're gonna talk about the bets trade. We're gonna talk about the Emilio Pagan trade. We're gonna talk about possible playoff changes coming uh, to a playoff near you. Uh, Roto category stats, like how much of what category do you need to be good? Chris is going to break that down for you. The top five ballparks that our listener Linden visited. We're going to find out his favorite. A new type of gross beetle uh, and some (laughs) random fantasy questions. And our favorite late round picks will be later on in the show. And something that we definitely won't have time for, but I'm going to plug it anyway. Scott versus ADP, the segment we'll never get to. Ah. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> yes, on March 25th, we'll get there, I'm sure. <laughs> the big news. So the trade is complete. Bets and price to the Dodgers. Alex Verdugo still going to the Red Sox. They're not getting Bruce Dark Gratterall from the Twins. They're getting Connor Wong and Jeter Downs. Wong, a short, uh, catcher. Jeter Downs, a shortstop who's going to Boston. I know it's disgusting. <clears throat> and I don't know. Chris, how are you feeling about this now? I mean... It's still a weak return for the second best player in baseball, but the owner told them they had to do it, so they had to do it. it <laughs> it's like I like the I like this return more than uh, Gratterall, but I I think that's because I'm less optimistic about his chances of sticking as a starter, and it seems like the Twins and Dodgers both agree. Um, but yeah, I mean. I don't know if Downs or Verdugo has real superstar potential in real life, but there's a lot of fantasy potential in both of those. And even Wong actually has hit really well so far in the minors. He's a converted infielder who um, has only been catching for a couple of years. So I don't know how how much the defensive uh, metrics are going to like him, but He's hit pretty well. Jeter Downs uh, was a 24 home or 24 steal guy last year, I believe. So, you know, there's the potential for this to be a very impactful fantasy trade from the Boston side. You know, there's nobody at second base long term for Boston. And Alex Verdugo, you know, we talked about it a couple times now, but his high batting average floor makes him a really good fit in Fenway Park, potentially. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if he hits 300 this year. 
And if he's batting leadoff, which we talked about before, Adam, when yeah. we thought this trade went through the first time uh, in front of the mashers in the late, they still have three mashers in that lineup. And that's if you're not counting Andrew Benintendi. Um, yeah, he's he's going to have a productive season. He's he's in my top 40 outfielders, I believe, when before he was probably outside of my top 70. So that is a big mover. It's hard not to assess this trade from the standpoint of just comparing it to the trades that we already thought happened. And on that note, the biggest uh, the biggest thing that happened was actually that the Angels portion of this trade didn't go through it. Because if you remember, I was beside myself with excitement over the implications of this trade the night it first looked like that it happened, Adam, and and really it was the Angels part that that uh, put me over the top. Well, and that you, was before you, we even knew the Stripling angle, him yeah. going to the Angels, which obviously he isn't anymore. Jack Peterson isn't going to the Angels anymore. It's that I, I know I've heard from a couple of Joe Adele owners who are excited about that. I didn't really think it changed Adele's timeline. He was not going to be up in spring training because at the end of spring training because he hasn't proven himself at AAA yet, and. Yeah, Peter's in there or not. He was going once he was ready, they would have a spot for him. They could have played Peterson at first, whatever. Um, but I'm a little worried about Gavin Lux now. And if supposedly Jock Peterson is still on the market and maybe the Dodgers find a taker before opening day still, but if he's there and they have to find at bats for him, um obviously it hurts Pollock too, but I, I think Gavin Lux might be in for less than an everyday role. And if they're not playing him every day, maybe that he just begins in the minors. Well, also you were excited about Maeda when we first did the podcast about a week yeah. ago. So that doesn't he's, change. He's, that doesn't change. He's still on the twins. They got Bruce Dark Gratterall. Instead of going to the Red Sox, he's going to the Dodgers. So it's the 67th pick in the 2020 draft, but Stripling's still on the Dodgers. So yeah, I mean, is Stripling's a loser, right? Because he was. Oh yeah. Yeah. Whoa. I, whoa, whoa. I had to remind myself. <laughs> I had to remind myself where I had him ranked in the first place because I moved him up so much. Uh, He's probably just, he's probably still stuck in that swingman role for the Dodgers, except they've got like four potential swingmen and who's to say he's going to get first priority of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they've got Kershaw, Bueller, Price, Alex Wood, Julio Arias, uh, Stripling, and then the young guys that we've talked about. So Tony Gonsolin, Dustin May, even Jimmy Nelson is there. And, uh, and yeah, so look, it's not to say that Stripling won't get traded. It's not to say that Peterson won't get traded, but right now they are still on the Dodgers. And we of course will react, uh, when, you know, when news breaks now, Scott, San Diego acquired Emilio Pagan from Tampa Bay for outfielder Manuel Margot and catcher-slash-outfielder Logan Driscoll. Pagan had a really good year. He led the Rays in saves. He had 20 of them. He had a 231 ERA. He had a .83 whip. He had a great, great season. He's obviously not going to be the closer in San Diego. Who's going to be the closer for Tampa Bay? Because they're Tampa Bay, you hesitate to name any one individual pitcher the closer, but just because Pagan is now out of the equation... That makes for a more definitive answer, I would think. There's one less capable ninth-inning option now, and by far the most capable appears to be Nick Anderson, who the Rays worked their magic on him after getting him from the Marlins in what looked like 
a not so favorable deal for the Rays. But then when you see what Nick Anderson became with them, it's like, okay, I guess they knew what they were doing. His 23 appearances with the Rays, 211 ERA, 0.66 whip, 17.3 Ks per nine. He was just the best reliever in baseball after that trade was made. And um, and now I got to think, I got to think he's option number one for the ninth. Okay. He moves way up. Two walks, 41 strikeouts in 21 and a third with Tampa Bay for Nick Anderson, who, yeah, came over from the Marlins. It also gives me a chance to say, Mr. Anderson, because I finally watched The Matrix last weekend for the first time in my life. For the first time? <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I. Did think, you also enjoy your eighth grade dance? <laughs> I think I saw it. It was in 1999 it came out, right? So I was. In high school, yeah, it would have been. Eight. Oh, you were in high school. Okay. Well, so, so. you were you were finishing up eighth. Uh, depends when it was. It was probably a summer movie, right? I was fifteen. So yeah, I, you're right. Yeah, we were in high school. Yeah, you were you were you were a bit slow. I think I saw it when it came out, not in theaters, but like shortly thereafter. But I didn't really like it. I probably like tuned out. So I was like, I got to give this movie another chance. It's a very good movie. It's it's a hell of a movie. It's a yeah, whole, it's a good one. Yeah, it's a good think. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so I also wanted to mention that last year, Jose Alvarado was coming off a great 2018. He had a 239 ERA and 80 strikeouts in 64 innings. He got the first four saves for uh, for Tampa Bay last year. He dealt with some family issues in Venezuela. His mother was sick. He missed a month to deal with the family issues. He came back, may have been out of shape. He And that's not my opinion. That's what I read. Uh, he had an oblique injury. He had an elbow injury. So they have such a great bullpen. We're gonna we're gonna talk relief pitchers on Wednesday. That's gonna be our first position preview. They've got Diego Castillo. They've got Nick Anderson. They've got Jose Alvarado. So the, these guys are options, but maybe Anderson is the front runner. And we'll get into that. And I saw the Matrix. Okay. And Chris, what do you think about these potential changes to the MLB postseason? Some articles coming out. We could have four wild card teams. We could <laughs> one team getting a bye. The other teams get to choose their opponents, basically, like the higher seeds. <laughs> You're not you don't seem too into it. I I like the choose your own opponents thing. I think we should do that throughout the playoffs. I think we give them as much bulletin board as possible. I think that would be great. Um half the league making the playoffs seems kind of dumb. <laughs> on the other hand, I am a basketball it's not, it's, fan. Uh, well, it is half the league, More isn't it? Half the league makes the playoffs. So, well, how know. many how many wild card teams? Would, how many teams would there be? There would be three division winners and four. So yeah, it would be about half. Yeah, fourteen teams yeah. out of thirty. It, it, look, I mean, I don't know. I I don't think this is going to like create a situation where it fixes any of the issues that are wrong with baseball. Like. I don't think we're going to see teams stopping tanking because they can make a wild card as like an 84 win team. I don't, I don't think that's going to change much. Um, if anything, a team like Boston could justify trading Mookie bets even more. Cause well, heck we're not going to win the division. We're not better than the Yankees or the Rays in 162 game season, but we could trade Mookie bets, save all that money. And still make a wild card, winning eighty five games, and all of a sudden we're right there in the uh, in the mix. So I, I don't know. It, it seems like a solution in search of a problem. Mm. 
Well, I think it's good for the fans. More fan bases getting into it, you know, because your team's not eliminated. Your more teams are going to be playing for the playoffs. Uh, it's probably well, going to lead to some upsets, you know, in the playoffs. It's just... I mean, that's the thing. It's like, going to be annoying. Apparently, the Red Sox would have made the playoffs last year. Yeah. If yeah, the they, if, made if the they beat the Yankees in a best of three series who were like 20 games ahead of them in the standings... Like that's that's gonna feel pretty cheap, yeah. you know. Yeah. That's yeah. and it's totally possible. I mean, it, what what I think separates it from basketball because I've seen the take that you know some people worry, uh, you know, the there a common complaint is the NBA regular season is irrelevant because half the league makes the playoffs and and so all that really matters is what happens there. And but there are clearer favorites in basketball like in baseball favorites. But this, there's just so much randomness, and when you get to such a small sample size exactly. like that, this right. makes the regular season season even less valuable for baseball. Well, but if you get the number one seed, you do get a buy. You don't have to deal with you get it. Well, you grappling have... grappling for those spots becomes very interesting down the stretch because each spot, you know, whether you're the number one overall seed, whether you're a wild card or a division winner, like they're they're the consequences are great Immense. for each yeah. of those seedings. Yeah. Which really makes it kind of confusing too. Like I, I don't like the aspect of that like every time we're we're in the home stretch in September and, and teams are going to be wrangling for these these spots, there's gonna have to be somebody there with like a full screen of rules that he's explaining to the audience because people just aren't gonna be able to keep up with it themselves, which I think is generally bad. Okay, I've got the solution. So right now Instead of you basically have four playoff teams. I mean, you could say the second wild card team is a playoff team, but you're essentially playing a one game playoff to be the fourth playoff team. This is trying to expand it to seven, give the number one seed a first round bye, and set the other six teams up where the two other division winners are picking their first opponent, and then the number one wild card team is faced up, you know, with right. Am I getting this right? With the other Whoever. with, with yeah. the other team that wasn't picked. Um, here's what you do. Yeah, the the two division winners that get to pick their opponent, they get to play nothing but home games. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. I, I like thinking. that. The last but two teams you're in, but you gotta you gotta do it all on the road. But that's I, I think that is how they're setting it up. Oh, is it? Or, oh, I'm a genius. The best of three series are all in one place. <laughs> okay, great. It's, well, then I'm I'm brilliant. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> okay, well, you don't think it's gonna happen? Why not? No. Wait, I have a better thing I'd like to talk to Chris about. Stop criticizing the Red Sox because getting under the luxury tax and resetting the luxury tax is actually super beneficial and very important. And the Yankees had to do it, and it benefited them, and the Red Sox are doing it. And the Dodgers, I believe, did it as well and benefited them. The Red Sox are going to do it as well. They ha- So, Adam, they, they're doing it. Very serious question. Yeah. Is it the taste of the leather or is it the taste of the polish that you like more? You're a bootlicker. <laughs> what? <laughs> Moving on. Okay, let's talk Roto. So Chris does a really good breakdown. You can check out the article on Tuesday. At some point, it's going to be up on Tuesday on cbsportscom slash fantasy slash baseball. Uh, what do you need in each category? What should you be aiming for if you're in a Roto league? And what did we learn from last year? Yeah, let me... Uh... Let me find that email. I'm so sorry. I was not prepared to discuss what this. What are you talking so about? I told you right before. I we went know. Out. Okay. And I emailed great. you earlier. Okay. I got a great email. It's going to be up. This this chart's going to be up on CBSSports.com 
On Tuesday, I finished the hitting categories. And uh, it's really interesting. So one of the things that really stood out to me, and this shouldn't be a big surprise, is home runs and stolen bases. I looked at uh, the, the data from 2017. So last year, the average first-place team in CBS Fantasy 12-team leagues was about 1,000 leagues. Um, the average first-place team hit 383 home runs. And the average second-place team hit 366. So you needed 367 to be in first place, basically. Um, two years ago, it was something like 340 to, uh, to finish in first place. The first place team averaged like 360, 357. That's a significant difference. I mean, you think about 14 lineup spots, that's basically, you had to, you had to average two extra home runs per lineup spot from 2019 to 27, 2017 to 2019 and stolen bases moved in the opposite direction. It was like 166 in 2017. Last year, the number one team on average had 152 steals. The number two team had 138. So that's reflected in the way we're drafting. Like Scott's talked a lot about, power is really, really easy to find, and stolen bases really are not. Hmm. Well, Scott, we talked about this too. Power is easy to find, but I think it probably goes fairly early. Like you're... If you wait and wait no. for a steal specialist, right, you're going to end up with somebody who's not good in other categories. But if you wait for a power specialist, like how late can you go without getting a guy who's just going to kill you in every category? Like uh, like a Randall Gritchick, you know, who's going to hit home runs, but he's terrible otherwise. Well, the thing about home runs is they're correlated. Are you to Scott? Yeah. Are you Scott? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some people confuse us, I've heard. We're, we're so alike, Chris and I. We're... Uh, Chris Davis, Kris Davis, goes 273rd on average and is very likely to bounce back with another 40 homer season. Yes, he's he feels like an exception because we really we talked about this like on our last podcast. I said I'm gonna have a lot of Chris Davis. People are downgrading him way too much. Well, I think a, if Mark Canna keeps an everyday Reyes. job, Framil Reyes. All right, all right, I hear you. Okay, yeah, we're Fran Mill. Mill is 150th overall. Um, but, you know, we've certainly seen him go later than that in some of the drafts we've done. Yeah, there are like even somebody like Christian Walker, who's very likely to go undrafted. He had. Basically, 30 home runs last year, right? If you factor in the time he wasn't a starter, it certainly would have projected as that. I, there's always home runs to be found. Chris, what what batting average should I be looking for? How many home runs? How many are you know, Give me the yeah, give me the goods. So, so I think a good target across the board is to finish in third place. You know, you're probably not going to win every category, but if you're in third place or so, you're going to be in very good uh, shape across the board. So to to win last year, the batting average was 278. To finish in third place, it was 272. So not a huge gap, but the thing you have to keep in mind about batting average and what makes it toughest in a roto league is players. You could get someone like Howie Kendrick last year who hit 344 but did it in a uh, limited amount of playing playing time. He didn't really have that big of an impact. You know, DJ LeMahieu actually had a bigger impact on your batting average. So what you want when you're looking for batting averages, guys who get a lot of at-bats and get a lot of hits. Guys who, like Mike Trout, doesn't actually have as big of an impact on your batting average as you might think because he walks a ton. So that's one of the things you have to keep in mind. 
uh, for home runs well, last year. Sorry, last one more clarification here. How many lineup spots? How many hitters are we talking about? This is a, a standard roto league, so fourteen lineup spot, fourteen hitter spots, nine pitcher spots. Okay, so that's for those of you who don't play in this type of league. It's two catchers. It's five outfielders. It's a middle infielder, corner infield, plus first, second, third, and short, and then one utility. So any yep. number we give you, if you play in a shallower league, you know you're going to have to reduce it. But this is based on on that. So 272 batting average, and what's the rest? 355 home runs, 1,125 runs, 1,079 RBI, and 128 stolen bases. Those those are your third place targets uh, in each one, and so. You know, it's it's like 25 homers per lineup spot. Um, there you go. That's you a know, good way of thinking about it. 80 to 85 runs in RBI and about eight stolen bases per lineup spot. But if you draft 14 guys who project to steal eight stolen bases, you're probably going to finish in last place in steals. <laughs> what is yeah. what is last place? What was last place in steals? 64. And what was... Oh, 11th place is deal, second to last place. Uh, 76. What was sixth place in steals? Sixth place was 108. Okay, so even if you're aiming for like sixth place, just I don't want to get crushed in steals, you're going to need to come up with 108 somehow. Yeah. Which I don't, I wouldn't feel comfortable hitting that target unless I had three 20 steel guys yeah i mean it, it depends on how you go like if you have trey turner who was on pace to steal 45 bases last season yeah um you can feel pretty good that you're going to get it from the rest of your lineup because then you're looking at an average of what five steals per lineup spot that's much easier to do i, I yeah. wonder though when you have two catchers if if we should sure yeah, because that's gonna skew it a little bit. I mean, yeah, they're like definitely. one. They're like one bad base dealer. Two catchers is like one bad outfielder. It's you're yeah. probably gonna have a couple of guys. Like if you take Jordan Alvarez in the fourth round, he's probably not gonna steal any bases. You right. know, that's something that you have to keep in mind when you. But right. the nice thing about specifically home runs, runs, and RBI is they're really highly correlated with each other. I think twelve of the top twenty. And home runs also had at least 100 RBI and nine of the top 20 had at least 100 runs. So you when you're doing your roto draft, you can you can feel pretty confident that as long as you're getting home runs, runs and RBI should follow. So you don't have to actually like chase those three categories individually. But I, the point I was trying to make is. If you're aiming for sixth place. If you're saying I need three twenty steel guys to feel good about my chances of breaking a hundred in that category, uh, I mean, there aren't many twenty steel guys out there, especially once you get beyond the first two rounds of hitters. I, I feel like it really drives home the point why you need to use a. Like with when you're when you're targeting your first hitter in the draft, your first or second hitter in the draft, why well, you need to make sure it's a steals guy, because if you're forced to pick three from like the Kevin Biggio, Tommy Edmond, Garrett Hampson, Victor Robles, like that group, the chances of you landing three of them 
when everybody else is trying to gobble them up too at that point in the draft, I, I mean, I, I just don't think you can count on that. And, and the toughest thing about stolen bases is, you know, I, I looked at um, kind of total roto value and only 21 players stole 20 bases last season. Now we project probably more than mm. 20 to do it, but that's all that got there last year. Yeah, right. Oh, and 20, some, some that we project won't get there, some that did yeah. last year won't. I mean, Jared yeah. Dyson doesn't have a team right now, right? 28 the year before, but also keep, some of them are just like completely irrelevant. You know, like 28 Delano de Shields is going to be on that list. That's what I was going to say. Allen, 12 of those Roger 21 Davis. derived at least 30% of their total roto value just from their stolen bases. All right, let's go to pitching, Chris. How many strikeouts do I need uh, to be, and how many saves? Well, let's start with wins and saves because those are most similar. Uh, to finish in third place in wins, 94 last year. To finish in third place in saves, 82. Uh, saves in particular were just, we've talked about it a lot. They were an absolute dumpster fire last year. The last place team on average in CBS Sports Fantasy Leagues last year had 18 saves. <laughs> punting feels like punting. a typo. That's a punting. Yeah, eleventh place, thirty-one. Yeah, that's a big difference. Yeah, uh, and that's it, what you usually see is first place and second place and last place, first to second and last to eleventh. Usually have bigger gaps than the other categories because you'll have teams that run away with it and teams that kind of drop out. But that also tells you there just weren't a lot of steals or saves to go around last season. Um, and they were really spread out. I think I saw something that over 200 players had a save last season. Uh, the year, the two years prior, it was like 175. Wow. So I don't know if that's a trend. It's just one year so far, but it does seem to be trending that way. And that could make saves even harder to come by in the future. Yeah, and I, I think... I'll be giving these stats on Wednesday when we do the relief pitcher preview, but I couldn't believe it. Kirby Yates led baseball on saves, right? Mm-hmm. And he had 41. I went back all the way to 2000. He's got the fewest this century for any player to lead baseball on saves. Yeah. Jo- Josh Hader has the fewest fantasy points for a number one relief pitcher in any year of the last decade, at least. Uh, it was just a strange year for closers, and every every high value closer last year was a disappointment, basically, except for Josh Hader, who wasn't drafted as a closer. Everyone, yeah, maybe Chet was Chapman. Was his, it was Ozuna? I don't think not uh-huh. Ozuna. Ozuna was a little bit lower, but he was great. Yeah, Chapman he, is. Probably- he had Ozuna number one going into last year. It wasn't a bad call. I mean, and it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, that's that's on Wednesday's show. So saves, okay, to finish in third, you would have had 82 of them, wins 94. Strikeouts, 1,500 strikeouts. That's for nine pitcher spots. This is for nine pitcher spots to be divvied up however you want. Starters, cl- uh, relievers, whatever. And um, 94 wins, 82 saves, 1,500 strikeouts. Read more about it on cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. Here's our email of the day at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. All right, Lyndon gave us his top five ballparks. He visited all 30 of them. Did a road trip last year. Here were his top. Chris said, you better have PNC Park on there. And Scott said, no, you better have Oracle Park on there. And guess what? They're one or two. (laughs) I do a great Scott and Chris. We really do sound a lot alike. (laughs) We sound like those old guys from the Muppets. Uh, Yeah, that's kind of what I was going for. 
<laughs> that wasn't a, that wasn't a half bad impression of us. Nope, it was all bad. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, San Francisco one, uh, Pittsburgh two, Fenway Park three, Miller Park in Milwaukee four, San Diego, uh, Petco Park five, and then he put thirtieth Tampa Bay Tropicana Field. Strong agree there. Tribe Tropicana is a rough place to see a baseball game. Good stuff, Lyndon. Thank you so much. Again, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, Boston, Milwaukee, San Diego, the best home parks that he experienced. Email of the day number two is from James. If you guys think a Hercules beetle is gross, look up a stag beetle. They fly around my house in Pittsburgh. When they land, they do so horizontally. It is terrifying. A stag beetle. It, it, yeah, it's it's the stuff of nightmares. It's not quite as gross I don't have quite the same visceral reaction as I did to the Hercules beetle. This is much more terrifying because they've just got these massive pincers that I yeah. don't know how much damage they could do to a human being. Yeah, but I don't want to find out. Yeah, I see a YouTube video pitched by a giant beetle, and it's that beetle. It's the stag and beetle. It's leaving blood. It's drawing blood. So it's blood. There's that, blood there. Yeah. So we've learned. Yeah. We, beetles are beetles suck, and the stag beetles <laughs> also gross. Now, here are some random fantasy questions that have come to my mind, and I want to ask you guys. All right, number one: Is there any Carlos Santana buzz coming off a career season? I believe he's going to be 34. Santana was the number four first baseman in points leagues and number seven in roto. Is there any Carlos Santana buzz these days? Absolutely. None. Should there no. be? No. No, um, this is Buzz, but he he's someone that you should be pretty happy to draft if he uh you know if he does manage to fall to you in the tenth round where he has been. I've been surprised how low he's going. Yeah. He's he's being treated like he didn't just have a career season, which is uh probably probably fair. I mean, obviously Lengthy track record there, and uh, after a good start with batting average, which is the, the the category where he's always always fallen short, he regressed to closer to normal in the second half. I just thought, based on where he finished last season, that there would be a stronger push for him than there has been. People are kind of just ignoring last season when drafting him. So we're back to... Uh, you should be thrilled to get him in your starter as a points league, but he feels like kind of a fallback option in a roto league. Yeah. Santana's been a top eight first baseman three year, four years in a row in points, in points. And that was 2018. He had a pretty bad year, but so did basically every other first baseman. It was just a bad year for first baseman. Uh, but he has been top eight in points four years in a row. That's kind of crazy. He's he's You can't find a lot of first basemen with one strikeout to one walk. In Roto, he's going 140th overall, going after Yuli Gurriel, after... Doesn't make sense there. Well, I guess it kind of does. Batting average? Yeah, I mean, that's that's, that's the one thing you can really count on from Gurriel, and it's the thing you're probably not going to get from Santana and even though the power discrepancy is probably going to be greater than it was last year. I think the the scarceness of what Gurriel provides counts for more in Roto. Next random question. What is not to like about 
Jack Flaherty and Walker Bueller. Well, Jack Flaherty was really bad for half the year. He seems to be a popular <laughs> bust pick, Jack Flaherty, among the fantasy analyst community. I do not share in those feelings myself, but I, I, I assume that's what it is. It's just rather than treating the full season statistics like the uh, like the guidepost for what to expect from Flaherty going forward, People are just very dubious of what happened in the second half and don't want to get caught with their hand in the cookie jar. He had the the third best second half in baseball history. I know one of the people who had a he, he had a point nine three ERA. Jack Flaherty was seven and three point nine three ERA, twenty four walks, one hundred and thirty strikeouts, and only six home runs allowed in hundred and six and a third innings. Fifteen percent swinging strike rate, which is excellent. He gave up a lot of home runs in the first half. He gave up 19 in 90 innings, then six in 106 and a third in the second half. Uh, he wasn't know, alone there. I know Jake Arrieta had a better ERA. I don't know who the other person was, like who had the other second half that was better than Flaherty. It was either Bob Gibson or Greg Maddox. I read two conflicting things, so somebody else can look that up. Uh, but look, Jake Arrieta had a .77 ERA 2015 after the All-Star break. He won the Cy Young. What did he do in 2016? He went 18 and 8 with a 3.10 ERA. He got worse, but he still was really good. Uh, so I do want to say it wasn't just like bad luck on home runs. You know, he his strikeout rate in the in that final 16 game stretch was when he really turned it around was 33%. In the first 17 starts, it was 26%. 26% is good, but, but it's certainly not elite anymore. It certainly doesn't lead to it's not necessarily what you would expect uh, from a guy with a 2.75 ERA. So, you know, he does need to give you the full season. And what was really frustrating about it was we just didn't have a good ex- explanation for why he struggled so much that I saw at least. Maybe Scott saw something. Well, I'm looking at the pitch selection now. And what I, I kept hearing as he was coming up through the minors and really establishing himself as a prospect is that he has this great two-seamer, which isn't a pitch that's, in style so much these days uh you know historically that's been you know the sinker it's been good at getting ground balls and pitchers don't pitch that way anymore but his he started emphasizing his in the second half he started throwing his slider more as well and he cut down on the four seam fastball and the thing is his his two seamer is a better swing and miss pitch than his four seamer so like he's Kind of the exception there is the game is trending away from the two-seam fastball where his plays off his four-seamer so well. Um, and, of course, the slider is a great swing and miss pitch, as most sliders are. That I think that's that played a big part in just his improved ability to miss bats. I don't know that it ex- explains all of it. I, I don't think there is explaining all of what went right in the second half. It was clearly... Um, it was clearly too good to be true, but if he maintains that same approach for a full season, I think he'll be, uh, you know, I think he'll be an ace. What's funny is I feel like among the top 10 pitchers, the two trendiest busts are Jack Flaherty and Shane Bieber when they were two of the trendiest breakout picks at this time a year ago. So it's kind of like everyone's like, well, we didn't think they were going to go that far with it. <laughs> And I will say on the Shane Bieber point, because I was actually going to bring him up as someone who I think there are reasons to dislike him. 
he did a really good job of limiting contact. 30% strikeout rate last year is really good. Even when he pitched so well last year, when guys made contact, they crushed him. He gave up. He had a 90.4 mile per hour average exit velocity. It was bottom 4% in the league. Uh, 43.1% hard hit rate was actually worse than the, the year before in both regards. Um, gave up a 408 X Wobon contact. And he's, he's a guy who just, it seems like there's a razor thin margin for error. And, uh, Boy, I, I could see it going wrong. This is a type of pitcher who I've been burned by a lot before. The elite control uh, guy who gets hit really hard but gets a lot of strikeouts and makes up for it. And um, I could see – I think there's a wide error bar on Shane Bieber is how I would put it. Okay. Bieber, by the way, he had a 327 ERA. That's the second highest of any top 12 pitcher in points leagues last year. Highest was Steven Strasburg. Bieber, though, had the second most innings pitched in baseball behind Verlander. So that became a Flaherty versus Bieber instead of Flaherty versus Bueller. That's fine. Does Yoan Moncada have first-round potential? Is he going to run all of a sudden? You never know. He, he, he ran a ton. He had his first two seasons in the minors. He still like more than 45 bases. Yeah, that's that's my thing. Is I think Yoan Moncada is an obvious regression candidate. I do like the skill set a lot. He took... Uh, he made real improvements last year, but the thing that could keep him from regressing from a fantasy perspective and the thing that could catapult him to stardom is, you know, now that he has established himself as a legitimate hitter, you know, now that he's improved against left-handed pitching, now that he's not quite so strikeout prone, maybe they let the other parts of his game flourish and maybe now he starts to run. You know, he's got elite sprint speed. He is one of the fastest players in baseball. He's one of the most athletic players in baseball. He showed in the minors. I think he stole like at an 85% clip in the minors too. It wasn't like he was just getting thrown out all the time and he was just running everywhere. Um, so I think that skill set's there. It's just impossible to know, literally impossible to know if that's something he's going to start doing this year. I kind of wonder if, this is if this has to do with organizational philosophy because you have him, Moncada, two time 45 steel guy in the minors who has yet to even have a 15 steel season in the majors. You have Tim Anderson who stole 49 bases one year in the minors. He only has one 20 steel season in the majors so far. Isn't that amazing? Only one 20 steel. I feel like we bank on 20 steals from this guy, Tim Anderson, and he's only done it once before. Um, I actually worry about this with Luis Robert. You can read all about this on com slash fantasy slash baseball and Scott White's 28 burning questions for the start of the 2020 season with pitchers and catchers reporting. Now, seamless. Probably Luis Robert's going to be a good enough hitter to justify a top 100 pick. Probably, but he has bad plate discipline. So, and he's, you know, just any rookie. You wonder how they're going to transition. But if he doesn't bring the steals along with him, which was never as good, he was never as he stole 30 bases last year, but he didn't have like the 49 steal season. Those other guys had, I don't know. I didn't, maybe we shouldn't bank on those from him. Be a uh, nice bonus. Uh, Moncada's going 70th overall. What do you think? Good spot. Like What'd you say? Like the value. Scott. Um, it's fine. I'm trying to see where he, that puts him among third baseman. 
It's pretty high. It's earlier than I would take him by a little bit. It's earlier than I would take him because I do expect the batting average to go down and I don't think he's going to start running more. So he has to get better as a power hitter, I think, to justify that, which is certainly possible, but I'm not going to draft him assuming it. Terrible plate discipline, 404 Babbitt, I think, last year for Moncada. He's the 11th third baseman off the board, but not everybody is going, like, not everybody's a true third baseman. LeMahieu is not going to play at third. Uh, Jose Ramirez, yeah, no. Okay, so 10th, 10th third baseman off the board. But that's, you know, a lot of good third basemen. Uh, what I was going to say is, I don't know, you probably don't want to draft him 10th overall in a points league, but in a roto league, it's it's different. You don't have to worry about the play discipline. Okay, last random question. Does Juan Soto have top five overall player potential? Uh, he has to become an even better hitter or an even better base stealer. And I think we probably saw something close to his ceiling as a base stealer last season. 12 steals. Yeah. Okay. He was the he was number 12 for 12, wasn't he? Thir- I have him as 12 for 13. 13. Yeah. 12 for 13. Okay. He was the number 13 hitter in points, number 14 hitter in Roto. Soto, 21 years old, batted 282 with 34 homers. 110 runs, 110 RBIs, and 12 steals, and great plate discipline in 150 games. Yeah, between the youth and the plate discipline, I mean, just accomplishing what he has at the age he is, he is in rare company, and like historic all-time greats is who he's ranking up there with. And then when you throw in that he's already one of the best plate discipline guys in the majors, I, I have a hard time putting a limit on his ceiling. I, I mean, maybe as a base stealer. Yeah, I don't know how much more they're going to ask him to run, but just as a, a hitter, I think he does have top five upside. It, this I, is the thing that's really hard. Um, do you think he has more upside as a hitter than 2019 Anthony Rendon? Because he was number, uh, was number five last year, but right. I put together a little tool where I can kind of I, I was able to adjust everyone's roto scores uh, on a per one fifty game basis, and he drops to number nine there. And a couple of guys who pass him are Nelson Cruz, who not a base stealer, but then Alberto Mondesi, Trey Turner, and Fernando Tatis on a hundred and fifty game basis that came game basis do pass him and like. Soto should steal more than five bases, but it's just really, really hard to get there if you don't run. Well, okay, but Nolan Arenado and J.D. Martinez have been there, right? Yeah, I mean, Nolan Arenado hit 41 homers, 220 combined runs in RBI, and hit 315 last year, and was the number 10 hitter last year. Hmm. The bar is really, really high, and if you do the 150-game yeah. pace... Uh, Arenado drops to 17th. I think he can be a top five points league player. Sure. With that play. He discipline. was pretty close among hitters last year, I think. It was uh, 13th. He only, play, he only played 150 worse. games. I Like, that's not nothing, but he didn't play 155. He didn't play 160. So it's possible on a per-game basis he was that good. In fact, we can look that up, and we will. Uh, let's. Uh, I'm just gonna read a bunch of news. They don't. They probably don't need much analysis. 
Houston sign stealing originated with the front office, according to a report. They're big cheaters. The White Sox signed Cuban pitcher Norhe Carlos Vera. The Giants signed Hunter Pence to a one-year, $7 million deal. He was having a pretty good season before he got hurt. But, boy, he's in a bad ballpark now. The Giants also signed Billy Hamilton to a minor league deal. The Rangers signed Cody Allen to a minor league deal. The Dodgers signed Chris Taylor to a two-year deal. Boston expected to name Ron Renneke their manager. He's their bench coach. Tyler Glasnow had wrist surgery in November. She's fine. The White Sox, this is a bigger deal. They're going to give Nick Madrigal a uh, chance to make the opening day roster and play second base. That's that's pretty big. Yeah, uh, they should. I don't know if they will. They haven't signed him to a long-term deal like Luis Roberts, so they may play the old service time manipulation game. But uh, that's another potential steal source. Really good a guy, a, a rare sort of player in today's environment where he puts the bat on the ball almost without fail. More so than doesn't have a lot of power, but he can run. He actually, if the White Sox let him. He actually makes more contact than Williams Astadio. Well, contact rate is higher. Not just the strikeout rate being lower, but right. actual contact rate is higher, right. which is incredible. His, his, his strikeout totals look like what you'd see in a caught stealing total. <laughs> so if you are curious about points per game, fantasy points per game, you can go to our website, cbsports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. Click on stats. Well, like you hover your mouse over baseball, click on stats and change from projections to 2019. And then fantasy points per game is a column that you can sort. Here are your fantasy points per game leaders. Yelich, Trout, Rendon, Bregman, Bellinger, Springer, Cruz, Betts, Soto. So he's ninth. It's pretty good company. Yeah. 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 One, one more note on Nick Madrigal. Uh, let's look at his last five seasons worth of strikeout totals. 14, 16, 7, 5, and 16. He's played 160. That's going back to college. He's played 163 games in the minors. He struck out 21 times. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Say He's oh. actually cut his strikeout rate since leaving college. He had 37 strikeouts in 151 college games. Who are your favorite late-round picks, guys? And alas, we are here. Scott, give us some names that you like drafting late. All right, so how late do we want to talk here? Okay, let's say pick 180. Or later? Okay. Who's going in that range? That I'm not be... trying to be... Yeah, 180 well, is good. I'm just going to say Gio Urshela. Get this, get this ball rolling with Gio Urshela of the Yankees, who... I, I mean, I, I, I think there's a lot to the breakout last year. I was, I was watching some interviews from him before the season where he talked about reworking his swing, incorporating his lower body more. And his exit velocity just took off last year. And that, combined with his already existing skills, which was he makes a lot of contact, he hits a lot of line drives, uh, it's the perfect recipe for a high average hitter. And if he continues to hit the ball hard, some of those are going to sail over the fence, which we saw last year. And he is such... I, I think the main reason he falls as far as he does, especially given that his safest category is batting average, and it's very hard to find batting average guys who aren't going to kill you and everything else in uh, the late stages of a draft, 
is because people worry about the playing time with Miguel Andujar coming back. But there is such a wide gap defensively there. I mean, Urshela is kind of average, I guess, but Andujar was a disaster. Uh, you days. know, I, Urshela to me is a great defender. I don't understand how the metrics say he okay. wasn't that good. So even better than that. You want to say he's better than average? I think they love him. Uh, yes, and Andujar yeah. can't field, so yes. Yeah, so... um I think among all the Yankees corner infield options, Urshel is the safest bet for playing time. And if he's making a lot of contact bet- batting behind all those high on base guys at the top of the Yankees lineup, he's going to have a ton of RBI too. I-, I think he could be a top 10 third baseman. Okay. Yeah, and that's obviously saying something, especially given how deep third basement base is. And I'm, I'm trying to draft him in all of my leagues. Gio Urshela. All right, Chris, give me another yep. one. Luke Weaver. Yeah. <laughs> 184th, 185th overall right now. And, you know, you look at the fantasy Brewers consensus and he's below 180 in every draft that they are one. You every made the cut. Fighter. So uh, I, he, that's another guy that made a big change last year. Um, started incorporating a lot more of the like high speed cameras in, in his off season workouts and you saw his spin rate start to go up uh strikeout rate went up as a result and i I just think there's a lot to like you know he was he was someone we liked a ton uh going into was it going into 2018 that we really liked him and then he was a big disappointment yeah Yeah. love love that post type guy love that you know a little worried that his season got derailed by uh i believe a an elbow sprain don't love that, but love that he didn't get to finish the breakout season, and so that keeps the price lower. All right, Scott, let's go. Keep on going. So there are a couple. I'm going to lump a couple to, together here. If we're talking about finding saves late, and uh, it feels like you have to pay more of a premium for saves, guys, this year. A couple I like to grab later. Scott Oberg of the Rockies, who isn't dominant, but... I think it's good enough to hold on the role to the role, especially considering their alternatives there. Uh, and then Mark Melanson of the Braves, Will Smith gets drafted ahead of him. Will Smith is a better pitcher. Maybe Will Smith ends up taking the closer role at some point, but that's not the plan right now. The plan is for Mark Melanson to keep closing for the Braves and looking at the way he performed in the second half, basically I think it started a little before he joined the Braves, but not much. It was mostly just during his time with the Braves. He kind of recaptured his old Mark Melanson form from before all the the injuries that sidetracked him and made him such a uh, you know bad free agent signing with the Giants. He is off the charts in terms of ground ball rate and in terms of walk rate. The two, three, the two of the three fifth legs we don't focus on as much. And then he got back to being a a decent strikeout pitcher, like more than a strikeout per inning, which if you're thriving on those other two things is good enough. I think he could conceivably hold on to that role all season. And if you get him for next to nothing cost, uh, closing for a team that I think most people are going to project for the postseason, it's pretty, pretty good deal. Pretty, pretty good. Who would you rather have, Oberg or Melanson? They're going within 18 picks of each other. Melanson actually going a little bit ahead of Oberg. I think Melanson, just the p- potential for him to rack up saves is higher, so he would, he would be who I'd prefer there. 
And obviously, you're always a little worried drafting anybody, anybody who throws a ball at Coors Field, even if there are seemingly few alternatives there. Chris, you're up. One other pitcher. Yeah, go ahead. Now you speak. Abby. I was asking if we wanted another oh, pitcher. Oh, I thought I you said one other pitcher. Okay. Uh, Andrew Heaney. Andrew Heaney, okay. Seventh overall. I uh, had a really, really good strikeout minus walk percentage, which has uh, become one of the one of I think the better metrics to use when when judging pitchers. And he's a guy who he's kind of weird because he pitches up in the zone with his sinker a lot, and that can lead to a lot of hard contact and a lot of home runs. But I just think he still has uh, the potential to develop into a very good starting pitcher. I think he's mostly there, and it's just tweaks at this point. Uh, got a decent number of swing strikes last season. Health is obviously has always been an issue for him, but if he can stay healthy, I really think there's a lot of upset with Andrew Haney. One more round for each of you. Scott? Well, I just want to throw these names out real quick because they're my favorites, but I feel like I've talked about them a lot, so I want to talk about new players here. But J.D. Davis, Mark Canna, they're both going beyond the 180 range. I'm going to draft them every league I can draft them in. If I want to throw a new guy out there, um, I'm going to say... I'm going to say Carter Kiboom in deeper lineup leagues is somebody who's popping up for me a lot in the late rounds now because it looks it's looking pretty clear that the Nationals are going to give him every chance to win the third base job and in fact want him to win the third base job. And I know it was a disaster for the little bit of time he was up early last year when Trey Turner got hurt, a disaster offensively and defensively. Obviously not going to be playing shortstop now, so defense, we don't worry about that. But the guy, he can really hit. He can really hit, and he hits in the way that I think is is most perfect, most the best suited for this envir- environment in that uh like his his just pure bat skills are really high, but it's not like he's a Nick Madrigal and he's lacking any sense of power whatsoever. He hits the ball out of the park well enough that it's easy to see him being a 25-30 homer guy in the minors, probably with a good average. Yeah, this is, uh, so Carter, this is Carter Keyboom, yeah. Carter Keyboom is the one... If you need a middle infield option late and you're looking for upside, he's somebody who I'm beginning to target. Chris, last one. How about a name that probably hasn't been said on a podcast that Adam and I have been on? Uh, John Birdie, who only became fantasy relevant very late last season. Uh, He's kind of the dollar store Tommy Edmond, based on what he did last season. You know, 75 games, six home runs, so not much pop there, but 17 stolen bases. And he hit 273, decent enough plate discipline to think that 270 is not out of the question if he plays regularly for the marlins i think there's 30 stolen base potential and you know he might play pretty regularly for the marlins yeah super utility at least here are eligible all over the place in fantasy i'm sure all right john birdie is j-o-n-b-e-r-t-i so i had to a little (laughs) trial and error there for me uh, I feel look, like we could do more of this, Adam. I jotted down like 
25 names probably. All right, whatever. We'll save emails for tomorrow then. We can keep going. So far, <laughs> let, let's uh, let's recap. Luke Weaver at 184. J.D. Davis, 194 overall. Andrew Heaney, 207th. Gio Urshela, 254. Mark Melanson, 270. Carter Keboom, 282. Scott Oberg, 288. Mark Canna, 292nd overall. John Birdie, 307th. I'm going to throw in a couple of mine. I like Nomar Mazar. Let's see where he's going. 257th overall. And I like Didi Gregorius at 200 and something overall. I typed in Dodo. Why are your is... ADP values different from mine? I'm using Fantasy Pros. He's looking yeah. at the right column, not the left column. He's oh, okay. Actual average, not their rank in the average. Gotcha. Ah, I see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they're Oops. all late enough. I keep typing Dodo instead of Didi. What the hell is the matter with me? Didi Gregorius, <laughs> 200. <laughs> Dodo's a really interesting case um, <laughs> because he is the most extreme pole home run hitter in baseball. I, I don't know if there's anybody ever who has, I think he's over 100 career home runs and has never hit one left of center field from the batter's box. So wow. I don't know how that's going to play outside of Yankee Stadium. He, uh, he has hit for more power at Yankee Stadium than anywhere else, but you know Philadelphia is not a bad place to hit, and it's a pretty good lineup. So I, I think there's some value there. See down the right field line. I am looking at the dimensions right now. Oh, it's not anywhere close. Right field line, yep, three hundred and thirty feet. That is about 300 feet farther than Yankee Stadium right field line. Yeah, Yankee, Yankee Stadium down the right field line is it's a it's a middle school softball stadium. It's ridiculous. Uh, all right, Scott, you're up. I'm going to pair a couple of pitchers together that uh, are being are falling for obvious reasons. They're going to miss uh, like six weeks at the Ooh, start. Oh wait, of the let me guess. Let me guess. Yeah. Michael Pineda. Yep. All right. Are we going? Domingo Armand, are we going Rich Domingo Hill? Armand. First Domingo two names Armand. out of your mouth. Those okay. are the two. <laughs> okay. Beautiful. I, and obviously this sounds a little wishful when you're talking about Pineda because he's been around for a long time. He's faked this out many times. But I think developing that third pitch, he may have finally cleared the hurdle in the last couple months leading up to his suspension. Um, he was throwing that change up a lot more than we're used to seeing him throw it. And his numbers looked significantly better. I'm trying to pull them up here real quick. Yes. We hear the typing. Yeah. <laughs> Domingo Herman. I mean, Domingo Herman just has to be, do what he did again. And now that we know what the suspension is going to be, seems like he's going to be with the Yankees occupying a rotation spot again. So it's just a, it's just a matter of waiting for both of these. So if you are in a position where you can afford to devote a roster spot to them, it's not an injury for either of them. So it can't be an IL spot, but if it's a, if it's a league with a larger size bench and you are not wanting to use any of those bench spots on pitchers that you know are scrubs, which are the kind of pitchers that are going to be drafted in bench spots for most everybody else. These guys look like they have the potential to make a genuine impact at a position where getting an impact pitcher is paramount. His last 11 starts for Pineda um, last year, 276 ERA, 
uh, a whip just above one, 73 strikeouts and 65 in a third inning. So good strikeout rate by Pineda's standards. Yeah, it looks like he may have figured things out. All right, Chris. I think this will be our last round. Our last one. All right. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be Charlie Brown and the Steven Matt's breakout season is going to be the football and the hitters who face Steven Matz <laughs> are going to be Lucy. Uh, because I'm gonna buy into Steven Matz once again, finished the season last year with a 352 ERA in his final 14 starts after the all-star break, 75 strikeouts, 23 walks in 79 and a third innings and I just I still believe in his talent level I still believe in his stuff Uh, I believe as the season went on he started using his secondary pitches more often uh, especially that slider which he had largely abandoned in recent seasons so I'm just going to keep believing that Mm -hmm. Steven Matz can be an above average pitcher who you can draft literally in the last round on draft day Strong finish for him, too. You're touting Steven Matz. I'm touting Michael Pineda. It's 2016 all over again. Exactly. I got to tell you guys, I'm getting really tired of your New York bias. It is like <laughs> Domingo Armand, Michael Pineda, and Steven Matz were the last three people we talked about. I mean, I know I brought up Didi Gregorius, but you guys. I did Gio Urshela. And J.D. Right. Davis. Come on now. Man. Yeah. Yep. That's what you get on this podcast. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening. We'll come back tomorrow. I'm going to try to get a guest on tomorrow. Oh. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Because Chris, is, good enough for Chris you. isn't going to be on, so <laughs> try to get a guest on. We don't do enough guests. Let's get a guest on. Get a new, new perspective, fresh perspective, and then relief pitchers on Wednesday. All right. Uh, we'll talk to you on Tuesday, everybody. Tuesday night. See ya. all-star studded challenge ever and this time it's every competitor for themselves best challenge ever the challenge all-stars new season now streaming on paramount plus go to paramountplus.com to try it free terms apply